Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode, we're coming to you with a topic that is, uh, has been kicking around in our heads lately because, well, the weather's a change in John. I say... Are they, is it like the times? Like, the times and the weather are changing? Constantly. Yes. I say... As someone from the middle of America and Kentucky, so the weather changes a lot. But it is just occurring to me that in some places the weather doesn't change as much. But On Friday, it was like 23 degrees. Last Friday. This Friday, it was 65. So I don't know how much this is going to hold up this <laughs> December. But you know, we'll find out. Well, John, in theory, the weather is a change in not quite as much as that. And uh, it's getting colder. At least here in Kentucky, it's getting colder. Winter's setting in. And, uh, well, there's not as much going on as there is in sort of summer or spring or fall when the weather is beautiful and everybody's got stuff to do. And for me, at least, um, that's kind of meant more time for a hobby. And I think that that's probably a trend for other people. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great uh, hobby migration that they talk, the scientists talk about uh, that happens in the winter. John, I am after the scientist. The, after the turkey <laughs> goes into the mouth and the stuffing has been consumed, the uh, hobbyists will go back to their rooms in which they store up for the winter hibernation, in which they come out with a fully painted army or two, or 200 more hours on Total Warhammer 2. Uh, and roughly 400 on Total War Warhammer 3. <laughs> not till february <laughs> yeah guys uh on this episode we wanted to talk about an idea that we do almost every year and that we think could be helpful for other people and maybe already get done uh but we wanted to talk about the idea of a winter project for your hobby uh and why if you don't have one already you might want to consider it and uh we figured we'd take the time to sort of talk about you know what we think a winter project means, what some of our projects are, and uh, some tips on how you could do one yourself and what it might do to help you. Because uh, if you're going to be inside, you might as well be hobbying, right? But first, hobby time and games played. All right, John been another week yeah, yeah yeah what you've been working on so handful of things bought myself a 3d printer Ooh, during Black friday sales i assume printer. yes i also got the wash and cure machine because it was on sale and it was only like 30 more dollars to get the wash and cure machine than to just set up my own like curing washing rig mm-hmm. so i just went ahead and did that and then like i'm gonna be setting it up this week once i get it i'll be printing some stuff i'll talk about that more in the uh, episode. Other than that, what I've been painting and building and working on has been Star Wars, Star Wars Legion stuff. Ooh, all right, all right. Star Wars train keeps on rolling. Yeah, I've been I've been using um, some new metallics. I got uh, I think it's called the colors Absinthe from Turbo Dork. It's like a bright green. I'm using huh. like lenses and stuff. All right, that sounds cool. 
Yeah, it's very, very neat. Um, I'm going to be playing around with that. Um, playing around with like a sand color Tatooine thing. Eventually I want to build some like Tatooine-esque buildings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Star Wars as a kid and like my first engagement with it was the Tatooine stuff. Like the sand stuff. And where I lived in Florida, seeing beach stuff was more common, which was closer to like the sand. So I related to it a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the snow stuff was just like, I hadn't seen snow until I was like 14. So like, who cared? But sand is coarse, Sorry, but, and it gets everywhere. Yeah, but like, it's like the four Florida version of snow. Um, snow is it coarse. Everybody loves it, but hates it. I mean, fair, I guess. I love it. I don't hate snow. But we'll be working on that here in the John Train. Keep working on that Star Wars Legion stuff. See how far up it goes. It's surprisingly, even for like a full army of Star Wars Legion, not that many models. Like, Yeah, it's way less I, uh, model load than trying to paint up like a 40k or AOS army. Yeah, like I just got to buy like one more core box for Rebels and like maybe one or two characters. And I think I'm done mm-hmm. with, a, with a full army. And like, I don't plan on buying a ton of Star Wars Legion. Like, I'm just going to buy the stuff I think looks cool once I've got like a base bunch of like Rebel troopers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way to wade into it. Um, I feel like in 40k you have to go so wide to feel like, ah, I have collected what I would consider the the breadth of a faction. Here, though, like it takes no time. Absolutely no time. I think it's also because they are two differently designed games from a gameplay standpoint. Where like, mm-hmm. In 40k, you want to always have options between each edition, but like Star Wars Legion is more about trading out cards than actual individual units, and like trading out heroes. Like, you pretty much bring the same core for every faction Mm -hmm. for Star Wars Legion when you're playing, like, just with your buds. Like, everyone brings stormtroopers, everyone brings rebels, everyone brings clone troopers, droids, and you just switch out heroes. Yeah, or upgrade cards. Which which I think is really interesting. It's very fitting. Yeah, it makes it a little less stressful and a little less involved to, like, design lists. And for me, that's what I'm looking for. So, that's a huge benefit in its favor. Yeah, I'm not looking for, like, the most galaxy brain, turbo tactical decision-making choices in a Star Wars game. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when I try to make a list in, uh, like, Games Workshop products, particularly with, like, Caradron Overlords, I feel like I needed associate's degree in law, um... I, I much appreciate being able to just sit down and add some numbers together and have a good time. The points values on Star Wars Legion cards kind of trip me up because, like, I think I get that they're upgrades that you're upgrading into a card instead of, like, on a model. Mm-hmm. But, like, if for whatever reason, my brain is having a hard time grasping it. Like, it's just going, no, you don't understand that as a concept. But, like, I do, but I can't do that makes sense yeah yeah i follow uh for me i think i under i could grasp the the fact that like oh upgrades cost points on like and it says it right there that's fine uh but for me what's hard is that those points are outdated and like they have updated the point values for a vast majority of these cards uh which leaves the cards at a weird spot and i don't think they have an app or anything where you can like list build to get the updated points. There's an there's an online resource they can use to make points, yeah. make lists that is done by the community, but it's not 
it's not as intuitive as like Battlescribe, and I haven't seen if Battlescribe has a Starbridge Legion uh, like file mm-hmm. depository. I assume they would, but I just haven't done that. Yeah, I actually like, haven't checked either. Um, but that would make it a little easier for me because it, it's hard for me to like Google every card and what their new point value is. It's just time consuming. And then, you know, you get away from the benefit of having a more simplified list building stage. So that's been what tripped me up some. But like, you know, far from enough to daunt me away. I just got to figure out what the alternative is. Uh, what else yep. have you been up to? Is that it? Uh, I mean, I work in logistics and warehousing. Mm. So my it's it's that time of year. It's big, big work time. Mm-hmm. So hobby get, kind of takes a little bit of a backseat from a day job. But do what I can to make sure that I'm keeping engaged with it. But what about you, Joe? You've been doing some stuff, haven't you? Uh, I have. They've, uh, for the listeners on the Instagram. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff uh, and throwing it over on Instagram. Um, so I, first off, have been uh, clipping apart and sub-assemblies a uh, Tau commander. Because, like, I don't know whether I want to build an Enforcer or a Cold Star Battlesuit. Because the new book's not out yet. And we don't have enough information to know, like, which option I would pick anyway. Uh, so with that, I have to be able to magnetize it to go either way. Uh, so I spent a whole lot of time trying to look at the kit and figure out exactly what I could get away with uh, building and sub-assemblies to magnetize it. Um, so uh, it was a slow process to kind of plan out a, a route that would allow me to build as much as I could and glue that together, but not so much that I'd kind of paint myself into a corner, so to speak, when it came time to throw some magnets on it. Uh, and then adding to that the complication of, you know, the commander having roughly 18 million weapon options and combinations. And all of that means it's just a, a crap ton of bits in the box. <laughs> but uh, I did manage to figure out how to get there. YouTube was very helpful. It just took a lot of time to actually do it. But now it is clipped out. It is in the box. It is ready for magnets and uh, assembly once we get closer to the new book and they start revealing some information. Uh, so that was a nice piece of the week. Um, I also have been working real hard on a, a ghost keel. So I talked about on the last episode how I was working on those Tau Fire Warriors and kind of... I was workshopping a paint scheme and finally figured out one that looked good and got it all together. Uh, and I told myself that, you know, if it looks good on Fire Warriors, I will throw it all on a big suit and see how it looks there. Because, you know, not all paint schemes work equally well on foot troops as it does on like a big centerpiece unit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to see how it looked on the Ghost Keel big suit. Uh, so I have been painting that thing all week. I mean, I I primed it, Zenithal highlighted it, uh, worked it up through like two or three colors of gray, did the accent colors, the metals, the blacks, uh, washed the whole thing uh, all in a week. And man, I gotta say, I'm pretty happy with how it's looking. Uh, I threw it up on Instagram and it has gotten way more... I hate to use this word, engagement than uh, most of our other stuff. So uh, I guess the the scheme worked out. 
At least it looks like it did. Yeah, and I think that it, it really works well with the force. Like, I think that your normal troops didn't look so great after the wash, like, in isolation. Mm-hmm. But when you put it next to the suits, and I'm assuming once you put it next to the characters, and, like, as a whole force, it's going to all blend and look good together in the way the Tau generally does, right? Like, mm-hmm. I find that generally individual Tau-like troops kind of look meh. Like, they're very muted. Mm-hmm. But when combined in a whole force, they look very good collectively. Similar to, like, Guardsmen, right? Yeah, yeah. If you look at one Guardsman alone, you you can't help but go, eh, I mean, it's fine. But, like, 60 Guardsmen, now we're talking. 60 Guardsmen in yeah, a the, tank, now we're really talking. I like to think of it like a diorama. Like, when when you put... When you put a Space Marine hero or like a Space Marine on the table, like, oh, he's a cool guy by himself. When you put Guardsmen on there, they're like, oh, that guy's going to get crushed. <laughs> he's but so when you dead. Put a, he's so dead. Uh, but when you put him in front of like a tank and with like 10 dudes, all of a sudden it looks like a fighting force. It looks mm-hmm. like the front of like a like a, a show or like the, like a like a scene from a, a war movie. It's very good. Uh I think Tau is just fits that same mantra, similar to Tyranids. I think I think Tyranids have the same problem slash benefit because it also allows you to kind of neglect on their painting a little bit and not have to like go super detailed in all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing with orcs. Like that's the benefit of painting the orc horde is that you could slack a little because they look just so good in numbers that like, oh man, you didn't paint all the little islands is on those three orcs and that horde of thirty. Like no one's gonna notice. Because they're too busy thinking how cool they are. But, oh, damn, look at them orcs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of arrayed the foot troops around the feet of the ghost keel for one of the pictures. And uh looks way better. Way better. So I'm calling the ghost keel a massive success. Uh, so it's been a great hobby week. Uh, the only thing I'm going to do to it additionally is uh, I'm going to come in and do some plasma glow effects around the... The weapons and maybe like the lenses however i don't want to just do plasma glow effects on one suit because like if i'm going to take the time to load up the paint in the airbrush i might as well try to use that paint and uh it really doesn't go very far on one model <laughs> so uh, i'm going to get a couple of them that need it so like the ghost keel uh and then maybe the commander and maybe a riptide and then once they're painted i'm just going to plasma glow all of them in one go uh just to make my time a little more efficient you know what i mean yeah yeah you want to just be able to streamline the entire process like in conveyor line yeah and it's not like you're trying to rush to get this on the table like this weekend you've got time i do i do and uh it's actually one of my winter projects so i have many months i just you know i had a, a little bit of inspiration for it so i I painted hard at it early before the book is even out. But yeah, you were so excited about it. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was good fun. It was really good fun. Um, I got lots of progress pictures. You're like, oh man, I'm so excited about this. Yeah, well, not to out you on the show, but just like Mr. Joseph over here was very excited to paint himself a big robot and asked me to play big robot games with him. We played big robot games. He was like, "I will go finish painting my big robot now." Like, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, we, st- I enjoyed the big robot so much. It was like, John, I'm playing Mech Warrior, and he was like, "Well, I could play some Mech Warrior. Uh, I'm in." <laughs> so, 
we played Mech Warrior, and one night John's like, "Yeah, I had fun with Mech Warrior. I'm gonna go back to Total War." And I was like, "Oh, I played Big Robots. Now I must paint my Big Robot." Um, it's just it was fun. It's very fun. I love uh, Battlesuit Robots so much it hurts. That's why I loved Titanfall so much. Uh, Titanfall 2. Most underrated. Um, but this gives me big Titanfall vibes. Like, the suits are just the right size for my sort of preference. Uh, and they got some foot troops alongside them. Like, it's just... Mwah, love it. So I, uh, yeah, I think I'm at a good stopping point for like this little batch of Tau. I've got to put magnets on the bottom of them so I can store them. Uh, so I still have to throw some magnets on the bases, but that won't take me long at all. Uh, and then I'll probably put them away for at least the next month or so. Because good news is I finally got my orc order in at the game store. Um, it's been a while. Good God. Uh, the owner has been trying their damnedest to get this order in for me, but... Their supplier just could not or would not send them uh, a Beast Boss on Squigasaur. Which is really unfortunate, because uh, my buddies and I, as we've talked about for a little while now, have been planning a crusade campaign where we're going to each slow grow a force, which is super exciting. And, uh, you know, that's when I had my big Orktober push. I painted up like 20 Beast Naga boys all in one giant blob, which was painful, but I learned a lot. And then I needed seven more models. I needed six squig hogs squig hog boys painted, which I started on, and I also needed my boss. And the boss wasn't going to get here for like two months. So I put those aside uh, and painted Tau because they, you know, a little more exciting in the moment. But now the, the boss is in, so I could go pick him up this week. Uh, which means I should probably put the towel aside and pull the Squig Hog boys back out and just finish them up real quick. Uh, and then I'm going to be painting up that boss uh, within the next week or two. Hopefully. We'll see how long it takes. I think I'm overestimating how long it takes to paint orcs because the orcs I painted were in a 20-man blob. I think it will probably go much, 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 much faster just painting six dudes. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, you're going to have a grand time painting orcs. You've had a grand time painting Tau. I can't wait to fight you with Guardsmen. Oh my god. I'm going to tear you asunder and it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I'm... i got so much printing to do. Oh yeah, John. Your 3D printer is going to have to go burr. Which uh, may or may not be part of your winter project. Mayhap. All right, John. The music is played. We can talk about winter projects now. The music is played. <laughs> you, you've been freed of your curse. It's, I cannot talk about the topic before the music. It's not how it works. <laughs> uh, the music is played. We have been unshackled. The hounds of war are unleashed. The, the riders ride again. <laughs> we, <laughs> we ride to war. <laughs> <laughs> Insert death, uh, death, death reference. Um, uh, well, we also got to get... You know, our motorcycles, our swords, we ride together. <laughs> oh my god, we will be the shittiest two-man road gang of all time. Um, yeah, that'll be great. Just playing the Who nonstop. Alright, John, so, what do we mean by a winter project? I say intentionally obtusely for the sake of explaining a concept. 
you know, does a does a winter project have to have a particular size? Does it have to be painting? Does it have to be minis? What? Tell me. It's not a it's not a winter project if it's under four hundred models. Oh. I'm kidding. <laughs> I presume your winter project is 400 models then? Uh, it's probably, actually. Actually, uh, Guards of Beast of Chaos. It might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I take that one back. No. Yeah, a winter project is whatever size you want it to be. It's, it, don't load yourself up with some sort of like preconceived notion that it has to be so large for it to be counted as an air quotes project. Make it whatever has been a thing that you have been either avoiding or you haven't just buckled down and done or like it's just something you're excited to do right mm-hmm. maybe but bigger than you normally would right like if you normally paint a squad a week right try to paint two squads in a week like push yourself a little bit mm-hmm. or if you normally have struggled painting at all like for months pick like 500 points of space marines and go I'm gonna paint 500 points of space marines over the course of two months who cares you did something that's the important part. Uh, maybe it's just a single big model that you just really want to put a bunch of time into and so you're going to work on it for like three months. Cool. Like a winter project is whatever you decide you want it to be. It doesn't have to be a whole army. It doesn't even have to be multiple units. It can be, you know, Mortarion. It can be uh, the captain for your special Space Marine chapter that you really want to make sure you paint right. Or like, it can be whatever you want. Even terrain. Like yeah, terrain's a good one. It doesn't have to be minis per se. Like it could be terrain. Maybe you've got like a bunch of terrain that needs worked on. That counts. That's a winter project. I know I do. Maybe you just need to build a bunch of terrain over the winter. Like that counts as a winter project. Anything with the hobby that like you can just sit inside out of the cold and do is a winter project. Yeah, because I think that's really the crux of a winter project is that you know. The weather's getting colder, and you've got a lot less going on, generally speaking. You know what I mean? Like, in the spring and summer and fall, you have outdoor activities. There's a lot more going on. You know, you're swimming. You're fishing. You're going out and seeing friends. You're going to the movies. You might be going to concerts. Like, well, pre-COVID. You're questioning... You're questioning the normal societal norms of a capitalist society, you know? Around a bonfire, though. Um, yeah, <laughs> like there's, there's stuff to do during those times of years. So there's normally it's more packed with get togethers and whatnot. And maybe it makes it a little harder to hobby. At least it does for me. Um, however, in winter, at least around here, it gets cold, cold, cold. Uh, I mean like sub zero cold. And when that happens, there's... Not anything going on outside. No one wants to be outside because we live where the air hurts our face. And no one wants to be outside when the air hurts their face. And yeah. I think especially after like December, the holidays are kind of done. There is nothing on the calendar. And at least here in like central Kentucky, whenever it gets like after January, like January and February are normally like bitterly cold here. Like it gets cold. Not like Minnesota cold because like. They're a different level, but... I acknowledge that Minnesota is the tiny Arctic, like... Yeah, yeah. Like, we normally get an ice storm every year, and, like, that leads to people not leaving their house for, like, three or four days. Because, you know, you can't. There's a sheet, I think, a good four inches of ice outside or whatever. Yeah, the roadway is an ice skating rink. (laughs) 
Good luck. Your steering is just a suggestion. Um, and when that happens, if you're going to be inside regardless, and you don't have anything else on the calendar, the important thing of a winter project is that the crux is you have made an intentional decision to set a goal and engage with your hobby. That's really it. That is the only requirement of a winter project. That you are setting some sort of goal for yourself that you're excited for. And you're going to work towards it while you have the time to do so. That's simple. Yeah, it's very, very easy. And I think that there's a lot you can do with that, right? Like... If you, maybe you have a new thing you want to experiment with. Like for me, hobbying isn't like, it's hard for me to sit down and just hobby if it's not a, a, a either a new model, a new thing I'm interested in, a new technique I want to try, or like an experiment I want to do, right? Mm -hmm. A winter project is a really easy way to get that all jam-packed into one session. So like say, we'll use your terrain example, right? Maybe you've never like painted terrain heavily, mm -hmm. right? So you just, you get a bunch of pre-built terrain, you want to you want to paint get yourself like a bigger nozzle airbrush and you're gonna airbrush all of it maybe you spray paint it who knows zenithal it and then you're like man what if i just like dry brush this whole thing but you don't really have experience dry brushing so you just dry brush like six to eight pieces for like two days <laughs> and you're just done like now you have a table of terrain yeah and you've done it and you get to look at that every time you play for the rest of the year, presumably because more people will come over to play throughout the rest of the year. And they'll come over, play, and be like, oh, man, this train looks really good. And you'd be like, yeah, I painted it while watching Christmas movies. Yeah. Like, you, you made use of your time. And you get to the end, and like, don't... I felt this especially acutely during COVID, because like, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but like, I'd get out of all my time indoors and go, man, I didn't do anything productive. You know, other than survive. But, <laughs> like, that could be a bad feeling. I get that. I get that. Uh, and, you know, I think the Winter Project is just a way to try to combat it. So, John, uh, now that we've kind of gone over the basics of what a Winter Project is, what, you know, Winter Projects do you have on your mind for this year so that we can give some working examples? Well... I have a very simple but yet complicated list of winter projects. Oh, go on. I have Beasts of Chaos, a faction that I absolutely love. I have played so many hours of them on Total Warhammer, even when they were bad. I have their book. I read their book frequently, but I always talk myself out of playing the army. Because, well, to be honest, a lot of the models just look like shit. <laughs> uh, a lot of them are fine cast or metal, Ooh. and like the plastic ones are a little overpriced. Um, yeah, yeah, they're a rough army to play if you're, if you're just buying from Games Workshop. That's and that's a tough road to hoe. Also, they are the rules are bad. Like they are, they are very bad. They do not do anything well besides put bodies on the table and move real fast, and they are not even that fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I love the aesthetics of the army, and I, I, I like them. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved the Beastman army books. Uh, I loved seeing, like, the going to, like, the local game store and seeing, like, the Forehammer Fantasy little miniatures for Beastmen. They're very cool. Uh, I always liked reading about fantasy novels with, like, big, 
monster that look with horns with furry or big axe or the hero's got to fight them. Um, so I'm just, I'm a huge fan of that. So I'm just buckling down and doing it because I have a 3D printer now. And there's a lot more options for a 3D printed force mm-hmm. of Beasts of Chaos. I don't plan on taking them to, an, to a tournament or anything like that. I'm mostly just going to play with my buds and build and paint them for myself. So it's easy. like it. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And there's alternative models I can use for lots of stuff because some of the models I don't like. Like I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the Jabber Slythe model. I know a lot of people love it. I don't. So let me get a different one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could kit bash your own. You could three D print one. You could three D print one that's a base and then kit bash on top of it. Like, yep. There, the sky's the limit, especially when it's winter time and you're stuck indoors anyway. So your time isn't really being competed for. And that's probably going to be the harder project is Beast of Chaos, simply because like painting that is going to be much more difficult than my next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot more differentiation between the colors in Beast of Chaos, and you can get lost in doing too many details. I think that's just a problem with all Chaos factions, besides like maybe demons, mm-hmm. is that there's just a ton of details on these models all the time. Yeah, I feel that with orcs also. Like, very similar. Like, there's a bunch of, especially the new orc kits in 40k, there's a bunch of bits and bobs and geegaws and doodads on them. Uh, and I think if you get bogged down in that, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to end up picking like four colors, like four different shades of brown and going, this is like four different shades of brown and like a skin tone and a metal color and go, this is everything. I don't even know if I'd do that. Like I would probably hit them with like a Zenithal, like two browns, do a Zenithal workup of brown. Okay, cool. Skin tone. I mean, which also could be part of the browns, like just to be honest. Um, yeah, I just pick a lighter color around. And then leather, metal. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else matters. Well, I got horns and skulls and stuff and wood. Uh, your wood is going to be part of your two-color browns. Oh, I see your point. Uh, yeah, that's probably a good way. Mm-hmm. Probably you a good can way hit those it. while you're doing it. like So you don't have to double dip on that. And like... Yeah, I if you're going to do the horns, I would do a paint color that covers well so i wouldn't do white uh i'd come in with something that covers a little better uh like an ushabity bone or a a xandri dust like go darker i've got that pro acryl uh ebony which i really like because it's slightly lighter um ebony what's the gw color yeah it's a slightly lighter color of the gw's not Zandri Dust. Uh, you just said it. You shanty bone. Yeah, it's a slightly lighter color of that. Which oh, you mean you ivory? Know, you think... okay. Yeah, it took like ebony. Oh yeah, I'm My bad at words. That's why I, mean. <laughs> I don't know why I'm on a talking show. I don't know how to talk. Uh, the... <laughs> uh, but then I can shade it. That's the other thing. Is I got to decide if I'm a streaking grime these or not. Yes. Um, that's a lot. That'd be a lot to streak and grime, John. Because I'm yes. I'm also going to be streaking griming a lot of other stuff. Buy two bottles. Uh, You will thank me so much when you get done with a 20-man blob of gore. I know you're right, but I'm also going to be doing... Because I got multiple colors of streaking grime that I've been using. Mm -hmm. um, Because I'm also working on White Scars as a tertiary project. Because I'm a fucking madman. Yep, yep, yep. Um, You are. And... 
they fight on this like red dust dust planet. So like I've been getting them like a uh, red rustus dust color. Mm-hmm. Um, but my second project is not White's cars. That is. Um, <laughs> that's not a winter. That's project. my third project. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the White's cars is the thing I do when I run out of other stuff to do. Um, or I'm just feeling space marine space marine like I do every once in a while. I read a bunch of Siege of Terror and I go, man, I love space marines. I'm going to paint some Space Marines. I just only do White Scars. Felt Space Marine. Uh, <laughs> might delete later. Yeah. Uh, but my second one is going to be Guard, which similarly um, to the Beasts of Chaos, I have loved for a long time. Did not collect too much money. That's the best way I can explain it. Like They are really expensive. Uh, trying to play a Guard Force with only GW models is damn near impossible. Like It is a lot of money. You have to make a lot of money to do it and have a lot of time. Yeah, it like time consuming and I mean honestly, like no joke. It's going to be like $800. It's and a, it is an army I will not play at a tournament, right? It is not yeah. an army I would not put in front of somebody who would get mad that I have 30 printed models because like there's a lot to play with that at a tournament. If I played at a tournament, it would probably be something like White Scars where I like all the base GW models, they're not that expensive to collect and they're fairly simple to play like six rounds of in two days. Mhm. Although a lot of uh, tournaments are lessening level. those restrictions, I will say. Which is good. I think that 3D printing is the future of the hobby in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think that we're a little bit further out than some people expect from it happening. Not quality level, I just think adoption. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take like a certain level of convenience before it is adopted. It's not going to be a price thing. Because, I mean, look at cell phones. Cell phones are like $600 a piece, but people buy them hand over fist because of how convenient and easy they are to use mm-hmm. like 3d printers them being 300 400 isn't the reason people don't get them it's because it requires a lot of upkeep and maintenance and like and knowledge it's toxic. its own hobby yeah yeah the second you can just put a usb drive in a thing and hit print and it pours it out from a little plastic container just enough resin for it to 3d print and then sucks it back up into that container is the time where boom I mean, that's like st- almost Star Trek levels of creator. Like, Yep. Yeah. But this isn't a 3D printer episode, but it kind of is. I mean, it is a large part of your winter project. It's worth mentioning. <laughs> it, is a hu- it is a huge part of my winter It'd project. It'd be disingenuous like, to leave it out. Yeah, like the, the 3D printer is going to be the massive part of my project. Um, it's a huge investment I'm taking into the hobby since getting this house. I've bought an airbrush, which improved my hobby significantly. Oh, yeah, man. I told um, you. Game changer. 3D printer is going to do it. And I think, honestly, the 3D printer isn't going to be mostly for GW games. Like, as much as I love GW games, it's going to allow me to play two factions I've wanted to play for a long time in Guard and Beast of Chaos and, you know, have way more tanks than I probably should. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> many tank, brother. I think it's going to be mostly for, like, miniaturized agnostic games, right? Like, not like Infinity. I like the Infinity models. I'll buy the Infinity models. Mm-hmm. But, like, Silver Bayonet. I can print my own force of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's intentionally models agnostic. You have to print, you have to get your own somewhere. Yeah, and I think that will be good for that. But I also think it's going to allow me to do a thing I've wanted to do for years, but I've never like rationalized doing it, which is painting busts or painting stuff just to paint it mm-hmm. and put it somewhere or make little gifts for people. Like print off something I know someone likes, paint it up, and then hand it to them and go, Hey, here's a thing you can put on your desk. Or like, here's a little thing that you want. Or I can play other games like Battletech. 
big robot. <laughs> yeah, but it's weird to play a big robot game on the tiniest scale. I don't know how I feel about it. Well, that's the great thing about 3D printing, is that you can scale up the size of the big robot, and then the rules are still the same. Then you don't fit The rules the... for Battletech scale up to 60 millimeter. Do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I definitely don't want to play big robot game at 28 millimeter. That sounds oh, awful. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna scale up to sixty millimeter. Uh, myself and Pear are both gonna do it. We're gonna I'm gonna start testing it this week when I get my printer. I'm gonna print a Shadowhawk. Good good start. Yeah. Literally a good medium mech. Yeah. I mean, I just want to build and paint one to have on my desk because I think that it's a cool chassis. I feel that way about the Atlas. I just want to build and paint an Atlas. I love yeah. the Atlas. It's gonna be- it's gonna be a good time. Um, my winter project is probably not going to just end in February. It's probably gonna go from like December all the way until like April. Like I'm gonna be doing a lot. Yeah, I, uh, I feel that. And and with my project specifically, I have to like prioritize, right? Like we're we have another like boys' day where we're gonna get together and play a bunch of boys uh in February. So like I got to get piece of chaos ready by like February. So they're on the chopping block. Like they're the first things to get ready for. Mm-hmm. I'm just also waiting for an FAQ. <laughs> yeah. That's supposed to drop in December. So we'll get that soonish. Yeah. But after I've got the piece of chaos ready for February, built like a 2000 point list, have it ready, ready to play, maybe a little bit of extra stuff for summoning. Then it's guard time, baby. Because mm-hmm. as the cycles demands, we will then play 40k after the the AOS boys day. Yes, exactly. And oh boy, it will be grand. Uh, I can't wait. I think that's going to be super fun. And uh, I think you're going to hear some. Dej- you're all going to all the listeners are going to have deja vu as I talk about my projects because it's similar prioritization. So. For me, I've got two things that I would call winter projects. As I mentioned earlier, I have the orcs, but they're not really a winter project. They're just a a slow grow force that I've been working on outside of the winter. But I've got two winter projects. And the first is that I am going to have to get an army ready for, as John mentioned, what we've called Joe HammerCon 2022 Part 1, where... We're going to have a bunch of people come over, just like we did for uh, 40k, and we're going to pack my house with people wanting to play miniature games for a full weekend, Uh, but this time we're going to do AOS, so I'm going to have to get an AOS army fully prepped to whatever point level we're going to play at for the weekend, which we haven't talked about yet, but I'm going to assume it's going to be like 1k to 2k, so a fair portion, and uh, that's going to have to go first so that I'm ready for Joe HammerCon. I, I, I'm the host. I can't be the one that doesn't meet the barrier that I've set for myself. Uh, the wild card there is I'm not sure which army I'm going to do for Joe Hammercon. Uh, currently right now, it, the split is probably either Sylvaneth or Ogres, but much like with John, a lot, that decision is probably going to largely come down to the FAQ that they're going to, well, the balance changes that they're going to drop here in a few weeks. So I'm kind of on a holding pattern there until we see what those rolls turn out to be, but I'm going to have a, what is likely a full army that's going to have to be painted. And it's going to have to be painted before February or early March. 
And then my second project for the winter is, uh, I, as we mentioned earlier, I've had a lot of fun with these Tau. They were super fun to paint. I had a blast. I really looked forward to it. I enjoyed the process. And it was even fairly quick, uh, despite the fact that I was figuring out a scheme as I was going, which always slows things down. And I had so much fun that I want to take it further. Like I, I think I would really enjoy just painting up a full 2,000-point army of Tau and basing them. Yes, yes, excellent. Yeah, it was a blast. And uh, I really look forward to, like, I'm jonesing to paint the commander. I wish I had the new codex in hand so I could do it. Um, I'm jonesing to paint some broadsides, which, you know, 3D printer will go burr. Um, I'm really wanting a Riptide also. I'm going to save that for the end, though, as my little treat to myself if I paint all the rest of the stuff. You going to get any of them Forge World suits? Uh, I might 3D printer go burr some of those Forge World suits. Uh, that's the only way to get those suits right now. Oh, damn. All right. Uh, I don't uh, well, like, I'm, I'm assuming you can still buy them from Forge World. I just know that it's taking a long time to get anything from anywhere, so... uh. I don't know. I'm probably. I would probably want to print the suit that I'm gonna play against only my buds. That will take me like, was it a day? A, a day maybe to print. Maybe as a and build yeah. as opposed to waiting three to four weeks to two months for a model from GW for four times the cost. Yeah. Although if I'm being honest, I kind of don't like Forge World models. Like I, I don't like this weird dichotomy between, uh, Games Workshop 40k and Forge World 40k. And the rules don't really line up well, and they feel separate, and yet sort of like duct tape together. So honestly, I'm, I might just run off all honest GW models. I I am curious to see, and this is a little bit of a tangent, y'all, but I feel like it's a tangent that's worth it, because I don't think it'd be a full episode. I am curious to see in the future what happens with Forge World, because I know... At the end of 8th edition, they removed the de rules department from Forge World and absolved it into the GW rules department so that all of the Forge World rules that get released in the future are built with the intention of being from the core team. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see if that ch fixes some of that, that separation. Because that separation has existed for like ever in Forge World, and it's led to either Forge World models being absolutely garbage and terrible and you don't want to bring them except for if you think that they look really cool. Or absolutely broken, and you bring three of them into a list. Looking at you, Leviathan Dreadnought. Yeah, yeah. It's a and it's a weird vibe, very weird, and it's turned me off from like all Forge World options. And I think some of the models have incredible stories and lore behind them, or also just look super cool. But like, man, it is a hard thing to to, to ask somebody to like buy a hundred and fifty two hundred dollar model. All, all things considered, and go, this might be the best thing in your army, or it could be the thing that you don't want to take off the shelf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. So for me, like, I just want to avoid it. So I'm probably just going to do normal Games Workshop models, if I'm being honest. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But again, I have to sequence it, because Joe HammerCon's coming up, so the AOS thing has to come first. And also, I, I've really got to kind of wait for a codex to make some of these decisions for the Tau. So that isn't such a pain. It'll give me time to wait for the Tau codex to come out in January or February or, you know, April, November, depending on how bad delays are. Um, so that works out. 
But I think that's what I would call my winter project. I'm going to work on those two armies. And obviously for the uh, Age of Sigmar one, I'm going to have a points limit that I have to hit. But for the Tau, I don't know if I'm going to go as strict on myself. I'm just going to kind of follow what the enjoyment and what I want to paint. Do I think I'll probably hit 2,000? I would be surprised if I didn't, but you know, we'll see. I don't want to be too uh, difficult on my own enjoyment. You know, I you worry you might choke out the fun. Yeah, you don't want to choke out your fun. Which leads me to actually the last section that I wanted to end the episode with is, you know, so we've told you some of why you want to do a winter project. We've covered what a winter project could be, but... Honestly, like, what tips do we have to help you? Because, like, we've done winter projects before that were successful, and we've done some that weren't. So we feel like we're kind of set in a position where we might be able to help you get yours done, or to at least have the most fun out of it, uh, and, you know, maximize your effort. So we wanted to just kind of go through a couple of tips that you want to consider. And I think the first one is to have a plan. I mean, out of, as we've just showed for our winter projects, a lot of these projects are multi-stage. For us, it's like multi-armied, but even within one army, it's multi-staged. You know, let's say you were painting up uh, an army of Stormcast Eternals. All right, well, are you going to start with the foot troops? Or are you going to go to a hero? Or are you really excited for a dragon, so you're going to do the dragon first? Or are you trying to warm up to the dragon, so you want to do that last when you're most skilled and comfortable? Like, all right, so you've got your models order decided. All right, what about paint scheme? Do, do you know what colors you want to use? Uh, do, you, do you know what orders you want to use them in? Do you, do you know if you want to use, like, a base brush, or you try to dry brush those colors, or are you using an airbrush? Are you going to wash them? Are you going to enamel them? Are you going to leave them as they are? And then, all right, well, you're, you're going to base them. Are you going well, are you going to base them? And if you are, how, how are you going to do that? What's their base going to be? What's the scheme like? You know what I mean? Like even a terrain project, you're going to have questions. You know, are we dry brushing? Are we zenithaling? Are we using rattle can? Are we using airbrush? Uh, well, I think, I think the first step, before you even get into like process and like writing out the process, I think the first step is picking what you're going to do, keep it reasonable, write it down, and then take the time frame in which you want to get this done and try to assign things a reasonable time frame to get done. Prioritize yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I mean by a plan. Like you've, yeah, you've got to think through some of this. Otherwise, you could get buried in a project. So we'll use, we'll use we'll keep using this terrain thing as an example, right? Mm -hmm. Say you have uh, say you don't even have a built, right? You're just gonna go. I want terrain by the end of the winter, right? You've eyed a couple of like MDF kits. Maybe you're printing out a couple of things. So maybe you've got three things that you just need to put together and paint and add a couple of details to. Maybe you've got a fourth thing that you're going to print a couple pieces for and you're going to scratch build, right? It's your, it's your passion project. Mm, you got right? a roll of foam, a hobby knife, and a can-do attitude. Right, and then maybe you've got a GW kit, right? So that's five mm -hmm. kits. Well, the first three are those MDF terrain things. So you just decide, you know, 
All right, those are easy to build, and then Zenithal and paint and dry brush, cool. That'll be simple, easy, no problem. Well, that GW kit, that's going to be a lot of building. All right, cool. I can build that and, like, airbrush that and, like, Zenithal that. Cool, cool. Well, then I got to scratch build this other piece. Well, that's going to be hard. Like, I've never done that before. That's a lot of stuff. Well, a way that you can go about that is instead of doing it piece by piece by piece by piece is start with those MDF kits, right? Build them. Very simple. Very easy instructions. It's like the easier form of doing terrain. Mm -hmm. And then build that GW terrain kit, which is, you know, a little bit more complicated. Still, if you put together some models, you'll probably figure it out. It can be a little difficult, but you can work with it. And then after you've done that, go to the scratch-built one, where now you can take all the stuff that you've taught yourself with the first two in that third process and build it. And then go on to painting, right? So maybe set yourself, like, with a two-week time frame to just do building and getting it ready and then go back through write another process plan for the painting right mm -hmm. and maybe even split that up into two separate process plans where like the one is a base coat right mdf doesn't really need a whole lot of like detail work done to it right maybe your scratch built thing does so maybe separate that out a little bit and think about that when you're planning out your winter project um an example I have is that I have tried many a times to go into a winter project in this hobby. And not just in this hobby, but like in my own work too. Like there are times in which I'll plan to like improve a thing. And if I go in there just going, well, I'll just do this, that, and this, and that. And I'll figure it out as I go. It's not going to go that well, right? Mm -hmm. There's a time and a place for like cowboy painting. <laughs> <laughs> and it ain't, it ain't in your winter project where you're trying to get a whole lot done by a deadline. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Your winter project is a time to not go rogue, but rather to flex your project management skills. Well, flex your project management skills and your ability to experiment within a box you built for yourself. Um, you know, unless there's a flip side to this. If your winter project isn't a lot of stuff, is instead like a thing that you want to go buck wild on and you want to go cowboy on, and that's your winter project is to allow yourself to experiment and go cowboy on something, go for it. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to try, you know, let's say you're painting a bust. You're painting a bust. And uh, you've never tried edge highlighting. You've never tried wet blending. You've never tried non-metallic metals. You've never tried object source lighting. And you've never tried, like, Zenithal highlighting. And you have a whole lot to do in one model. <laughs> it can be done, John. Maybe they're trying to win Golden Demon. You don't know. Um, but if you've never done any of those, and this one model is your chance to do all of them, all right, man. Now it's cowboy time. Have at it. <laughs> but I think most people's winter projects probably are a little more structured. However, I think my tip two is actually tucked into that tip one. Uh, so notice how when we were talking about the planning, we didn't say, you know, oh, I'm going to spend three hours building the MDF kit, and I'm going to spend six hours building the Games Workshop kit, and then I'm going to spend 14 hours over the next couple of days scratch building the other kits. We worked in terms of weeks. And I think that's my tip number two is... When you make your plan, don't be too specific. Uh, a plan is great. It's wonderful. But if you get too structured in your itinerary, 
uh, and you make too many short timelines that are going to be hard to meet, uh, you might end up kind of hurting your enjoyment and progress unintentionally. And I've seen this happen from people before, and it happened because they really meant well. They wanted to be successful. They were very invested. So they really wanted to kind of plan out their time to maximize it. But uh, when you inevitably fail to meet that very, very, very strict idealized timeline, yeah, it's going to be a little hit to the enjoyment. So do yourself a favor and just don't do that to begin with. You know, be a little vague. Give yourself some wiggle room in case stuff happens. Either in the hobby, maybe uh, a color you were going to use didn't turn out well and you got to backtrack a little. Or maybe you just have life stuff come up that is going to take away from the amount of hours you thought you'd have. It's going to happen. And that's okay. Just give yourself the wiggle room to deal with it and push past it. It's going to be good for you. Well, I also think that it's important to look at what the benefits of your problem is, right? So, like, the, mm-hmm. the benefit of having the problem of trying to figure out winter project is this is for you. This is not for a client. This is not, like, a paint commission. That like if you, unless you're painting to match a certain time to play the game, you are just going to paint this model because you want to, and you can give yourself flex time. Like you don't have to hold yourself to such a strict regimen that like you're gonna burn yourself out. I think it's important to remember that like this is supposed to be fun and enjoyable. So if you have set this time frame for yourself or this this goal for yourself that is making it no longer fun. You can readjust. Yes, please God, readjust. Yeah, don't... I've done that before. Like, I've gone, I have to get this done, I have to get this done, and I've buckled down and gotten it done, and then afterwards gone, man, I, I hate this thing. I hate this thing I made <laughs> because I fun. spent... Th- yeah, I spent three weeks stressing about it. Like, Yeah, and it's a shame. And if you can avoid it, please do. Yeah, like, it is possible to just force yourself to do the projects you want to do. But if you don't allow yourself to create an environment in which you want to do those projects, you're going to hurt yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, from a, not to sound like too weird, but from like a spiritual artistic sense, like you're going to ruin it for yourself. And then you might not like it anymore. And that's a shame. So don't do that to yourself. We don't want that. You don't want that. Let's just not. Yeah, sometimes you just got to take a break and go play some of that big robot game or read some more of that Wheel of Time series on a book or uh, go pet a dog or like cook a, a meal that you've been thinking about for days. Yeah, it's important. And I think that leads to my second to last tip is don't be too hard on yourself. Um, oh, yeah. Like, don't, like, don't beat yourself up. This is Plastic Army, man. Exactly. I think some people, when they get into a winter project, they're project or goal-oriented people, which is great. It does help. But I've seen people who are of that mindset sometimes really beat themselves to death over mistakes or missteps or missed time, uh, so much so that they will almost hurt their fun or ruin something for themselves. Uh, and this is a fluid, creative process that you're setting up. Stuff's going to change. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to have some setbacks. It's going to happen. It's okay. It's totally fine. When they happen, like John mentioned, try to learn from it a little, see what you can get out of it, and then move on. Give yourself permission to make some mistakes. It's all right. You will thank yourself in the long run 
when you can move past it and still finish and have a good time rather than sort of worrying over every step from there on out because you're nervous. It's going to be okay. It's good. You're going to be successful. Yeah, and a little tip, and I'm, I'm, I'm unsure actually which is going to pop into the next one, but something I want to say is don't compare yourself to other people, especially if you're doing winter projects with other people, right? Like uh, Joe's winter project and my winter project, we could sit here and compare each other's progress on it constantly and use it to kind of almost shame one another to get more work done. Uh, we could do that. We've done it before, and it works. But also, it kind of sucks. It did. And it we sucked. Have, <laughs> yeah. And I think that really what made us work better um, is just getting together and going, I'm working on this, and he goes, I'm working on this. And just kind of asking each other how it's going and kind of doing that slight positive nod, right? Having a community working together with you about a winter project that you're like, oh, yeah, and like sharing pictures and talking about it and just kind of getting in, you know, social about it with each other really helps not just keep up the motivation, but it also makes you feel involved in this thing and makes you feel listened to. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the most important things about making art, in my opinion, whether it's writing material for like a tabletop game, making a painting, drawing a thing, is being able to engage with other people with that art. Um, and I think painting miniatures is an art, like it's an artistic expression. And if you can show that to people and kind of communicate and get things off with it, um, it really benefits you in a way that's hard to express in words more than just like, I painted a model to play a game with my buds later. It's in a, I don't know, I, by painting this model and sharing it with my friend and them doing the same thing, we can build this community of people and these connections in which when we go to play the game is a healthier environment because we've spent months talking to each other about these models that we like painting. Mm -hmm. And that's how when your buddy, you know, swings his hero at your squad of gores and kills them all in one swing, they go, I'm so glad I'm winning, but also I'm so sad I killed your boys. (laughs) I watched them be born. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Which I think is great in a casual setting. I think it's half the fun. Uh, when you're playing competitively, there's kind of one objective, and that objective is win. Uh, it's do good, uh, whether it's see how do you do good you do with a subpar faction, whether it's get top table, whether it's win the it, whole shebang. Your objective is win. But when you're playing in a casual setting with the same group of friends constantly over and over and over again, I think the objective changes to how can we have fun and get as much engagement and... Uh, enjoyment and fulfillment out of this thing that we all like doing as mm-hmm. much as possible fully agree 100 percent. uh and that was actually my final tip was to get other people involved <laughs> like hey look at that hey our brains in the same space uh that's it's almost like we should do a show together man we should uh yeah i just i think it's helpful it's really helpful for me and like john mentioned we have been under a deadline where we used having other people in the group uh, to sort of push ourselves to finish. And we finished. Kind of sucked. <laughs> so we just don't do that anymore. We need to learn about it. Uh, we just talk about each other's projects and it, it helps build excitement or give uh, tips. Like earlier, when John was talking about his winter project, I didn't say, hey man, like you got a 3D printer. 2000's not enough. You could just go to 4000. Like what are you doing? Or hey dude, like I know you wanted them to be your winter project, but the rules kind of suck. So uh, maybe pick a better project. 
Instead, yeah. why, I, why don't you play Lumineth, you fucking dickhead? <laughs> instead, I went, hey man, like here's some tips on how you can maybe do that a little faster. Like, you know, I know there's a lot of models. Maybe use some streaking grime. You know, it might make yourself a little better. Like, it might make it more fun for you. And I think that non-comparative, uh, just sort of, how would I put it? Collaboration is super fun and it's super helpful. Uh, and it will help you work through some of the aforementioned problems because you'll have people to bounce ideas off of. And I think it is really practical to do it. But like John mentioned, there's also just a sense of community there. There's a sense of fun. There's a sense of excitement and enjoyment that you're doing something as a group with your peers that you enjoy being around. Um, and especially during the winter, if you're having trouble like seeing one another a bunch, it's a way to stay connected. Uh, because you're all toiling away on different projects, but together. Which and speaking is just of delightful. staying connected, I have a couple of requests. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the episode, and I'm, I wanted to bring up a couple things before we get to the end. And thank you for listening as long as you have, if you've been listening this whole time. Uh, we appreciate you. We know this was a longer one, but we wanted to yes. take some extra time on it. We, like in our last episode, have been talking about how to improve the show. As you can see, as we've probably skipped a week because we are doing the episodes every other week now. As a reminder for everyone who didn't hear last episode. On top of that, we want to create new and interesting content for you that is more engaging. So if you can reach out to us in Twitter, if you can reach out to us on Instagram, reach out to us on any of the social medias, that would be wonderful. Uh, something we have discussed, and I would like to see um, some engagement from y'all as listeners, if you're interested in it is a Discord to share all of our winter projects in, all of our pictures with one another. Now, I can't promise it'll happen, but if it is something that you all are interested in, let us know. We'll definitely put a huge you know, thought into it. I think that would be a lot of fun. We have our own little group Discord with all of our friends, that some of which listen to the show that share stuff. But I think that having one for all the listeners would be a fantastic thing. And we can all, you know, create a positive environment to create our little winter projects with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but before we make any decisions, we always want to, you know, kind of talk to you guys. But this was an idea that, as we were talking through, I think might be fun for everybody. You know, we can make this a group effort and a group push uh, to help get everybody across the finish line together. And uh, John and I just love hob hobby progress pictures. We do. It's, it's Yep, and I think that building a community is was the, the biggest reason we kind of made this show. Was we wanted to share our mindset and how we you know, kind of come at, come and play in these hobby with everybody else. Uh, we've heard too many horror stories from friends and experienced our own horror stories of people kind of engaging in the hobby with people who kind of make it not fun. Uh, and those people probably learned those habits from other people who treated them that way. And we would like to break that cycle in the hobby of just kind of turds making turds. Turds making turds. That's beautiful, yeah. John. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, that's going to be my tramp stamp. That's my other winter project, tramp stamp. Ooh, turds making turds right above your turds cheeks. making turds, and then uh, on my chest in like a like a it's like a circular Ouroboros. It's going to say uh, "Hot and Ready Little Caesars" is the only pizza for me. Oh, Looking, but like with a snake, like on a snake, like an Ouroboros. Oh God, John, that is the most Florida thing you ever said. Yeah, that's great. I hate it, but and on that episode, that is unfortunately. That all of our opinions bona fide.
Kentucky Fried. Man, our opinions are dog shit, aren't they? <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> we'll see y'all next time.